You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 181 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Malisha. And Gina, happy 2018. Oh, Pretty oh my exciting. God, Valerie. Happy 2018. I can't mm-hmm. believe it. It's like I've got to get used to um, putting that into just even feeling 2018. Very cool. New year. Yes. So excited to get into it. So exciting. So exciting. And we've got so much to talk about in terms of photography today. Today's topic is four common photography mistakes made by newbies and pros and, of course, how to fix them. But before we get on to all of the meaty stuff that we're going to discuss, what are your big plans for 2018? What are you going to be doing this year, Gina? Anything exciting that you want to share with us? Uh, I've got some uh, big trips planned. I haven't quite oh. sort of um, worked out exactly uh, when they will happen, but uh, I know that they will happen. So I'm very excited about that. I want to um, delve into moving images a bit more, Val. And That's exciting. Yeah, it is. And just continue to, um, the, the thing with photography is the more you immerse yourself into it, the more you think you know, the more you realize that you need to to know so I'm Mm. just uh like just excited to create more photos and keep shooting and uh travel to a couple of my uh the places on my bucket list uh got some workshops uh happening as well this year and so lots lots going on what about you what about me I feel like I'm still I know I probably said this last time but I feel like I'm still recovering from 2017 I need a little bit more of a break but I've been taking it a little bit easy and I've been trying to get some time to because part of me thinks oh I should spend time reflecting on um, what's happened and and the the year that's gone and, and planning the year of 2018 and the other part of me just wants to watch Netflix and you know I love Netflix myself. I love it's the Netflix. best thing that's ever happened I don't you think it's too it's good. Pretty good and there's too mm. much and that's the thing. But so, on that um, yeah. planning for the future, do, like, do you know what I do at the end of every year? I uh, get a little container and I get a piece of paper and I write down all the things that I want to achieve in the year. Do you do anything like that? And then I just uh, put it away and I look at it at the end of the year, the following year and go, oh, yeah, did that, did that. It's like putting it out there for yes. real. Once yes. you write it down, it's like it kind of makes it all – 
seem real and rather than just keeping it in your head, oh, one day I might do this. No, it's like I want to do this, I want to do this, and I want to do that. And it's uh, it's amazing how many of them actually come true when you do it that way. Yes. Kind of it is. I mean, I'm not very good at the, the year-long thing, but I'm a lot better at, okay, in the next three months I want to do X or Y or Z. Uh, and the year just seems so far away to me for some reason. But yeah. um, I do think, yeah, that when you when you write it down, you're kind of like halfway there. So exactly. Yes. Now we have a really interesting link that you have found <laughs> before we get on to the guts. You know, the topic that we're going to discuss today. This is bizarre. It's from JapanInsides.com, and it's the post is called. 89-year-old Japanese grandma discovers photography, can't stop taking hilarious self-portraits now. I love <laughs> this so much. It's already been shared over five, over half a million times. So it's... It makes it's me so happy. Resonating with people. Yeah, so it's this 89-year-old grandma who obviously has got a new camera and she's taking... She's first... There's a photograph of her dressed as an angel with a halo and wings where she's trying to touch a what looks like a hummingbird. There's a photo of her on a bicycle, looks like doing wheelies, photograph of herself pretending to be the hunchback of Notre Dame, a photo of herself where she has somehow placed a shovel, a rusted old shovel. It looks like it's hitting her, dropped on her head, and she's got a owl kind of look. She's got a photo of herself with two Sharpies stuck up a nose. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the it's frog. A photo of herself um, uh, drinking four cans of beer with her head, you know, uh, with a head wearing a hat that looks like a, a beer. There's, yeah, her dressed up as a frog in a frog costume. She's hung herself up on a clothesline. <laughs> She's wrapped herself up as rubbish. This, this woman's hilarious. She's ace. I want her as my grandmother oh and my it's God. like, you know what, if I ever make it to 89, this is what I want to be like. This is when this is when I will embrace selfies, Val, <laughs> <laughs> and I will be that woman and uh, oh use my, my use my God. photography for good. <laughs> this is so good. She didn't get into photography until she was 72 years old because, and her son was teaching a beginner's course so she decided to enrol and then decided that she loved it and started snapping quirky and comical self-portraits. But then she had her first solo exhibition 10 years later at a local museum and now this 89-year-old grandma is about to have her work exhibited at Tokyo's Epson Imaging Gallery. So pretty, pretty cool, I would say. Good on her. Love it. Never too late, Val. It's never too late. That's, never too uh, late. I think that's and such a, a good way to start the year, you know, an yes. inspiring. And, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at GinaMilitia.com, and that's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. Now, we have uh, some questions from listeners. One particular listener uh, has um, – who is – her name's Betty. She sent us a photo, which – and we'll put the images in the show notes as well so you can have a look at them if you'd like. But she sent a photo of a, a young woman sitting on a park bench outside what looks like – 
a municipal building of some kind and she kind of is sitting on a park bench but her legs are on the bench so she's almost half reclining she's got a red top and black I think it looks like a skirt and some black boots and she's kind of like just looking off into the distance and uh, Betty has said what can I do to make this image look better it was a dreary day and the flash wasn't working right interesting questions so Gina so, Betty, first thing I have to say is I want everyone listening uh, and in the community to make what can I do to make this image look better, their motto, write it on the wall, write it above your computer, have it in your head every time you're taking a shot. I think this is the best question anyone could ever ask because it's from that 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 we develop as artists. So if you're always questioning, but what can I do now to make it better? And it doesn't matter how good you are. And that's the thinking behind um, the show that we're doing today, Val. So like the four common photography mistakes and how mm-hmm. to fix them, it's along those lines. And so I think we always need to be thinking about how to improve. So Firstly, I think, uh, Betty, you've done a a good job in the posing of your subject. So the woman that you photographed is uh, sitting on a park bench. She's looking very casual. You've got a really nice shape to her body, and then I really uh, like the way that uh, her face is looking out, and she's got this sort of – really kind of casual, I just happen to be sitting here pose. So it looks really relaxed and natural. So I think you've done that um, very well. So in looking at the shot, I actually, she um, Betty posted this image in our um, podcast Facebook group. And mm. um, so I actually uh, downloaded it and had a play around in Lightroom for Betty to see how she could improve this image. Now, mm. what... Um, I see going on in this image is that um, it, it, because it was a, a, a dreary uh, day, so the light itself is really flat. So you probably uh, didn't need any flash. You've got enough. The light is nice and flat. You've got enough going on to capture that. I think the um, major issue with the shot is it just seems overall uh, overexposed so it's uh, a little bit there isn't a good black in the image and it just seems to be a bit wishy-washy so there's um, too much also to look at it's a bit overwhelming so we've got uh, trees and even though uh, Betty has thrown the background out of focus there's just like too many bright spots and um, things going on the thing that you do have um that you did get right was the leading lines that from the park bench that lead our eye to the model is fantastic. I think with a couple of really simple, small tweaks, you could get the shot that you um, were kind of going for here. And what I've done uh, is taken the image into Lightroom and I've actually shared in the show notes uh, the settings that I used in Lightroom to tweak this image. And basically all I did was I, instead of having it as a 
vertical image, I converted it to a horizontal image and I've cropped in a lot tighter to get rid of uh, a lot of the background, which I didn't think was necessary. I wanted the girl in the image to be the hero of the shot. The other thing I did was drop the exposure a little bit and gave it uh, more of a solid black. So I, I upped the black, I upped the contrast, and then I thought it's still not uh, jumping out to me. There, there's still a lot of a lot of colour in the image, a lot going on. I really wanted to simplify the whole shot overall, so I converted it to black and white. And uh, now I think it's it simplifies the uh, image a lot more, and it makes it all about the girl. And the other thing is converting it to a horizontal cropping into a horizontal image. We've now got an eyeline where you can look into the image, you follow along, you want a lot of movement in an image. You want people not to just look and be and stop at the image. You want them to, uh, you want them to lead them through the frame. And that's what keeps people's eyes on the image a lot longer. And uh, it's, there's something more intriguing about it. So the, your eyes mm. follow the line of her legs up to her face and then you see her face. And as humans, we will naturally look to where the face is looking so you'll look up to her face and then follow across to where her eyes are looking and so I think the horizontal uh, format helps to do that and then the black and white just gets rid of anything that's uh, not necessary in terms of the color and uh, just brings it all together uh, nicely so I've included uh, my edit uh, Mm. in the show notes along with uh, the Lightroom adjustments so um, and this is uh, this is a kind of thing that I love doing CCs, Val. Uh, mm. <laughs> I love doing this. And this is sort of thing that uh, uh, we do in the gold community uh, every month. So I'll take an image and I'll work through it and I'll show the edit and uh, show the finished result and so that everyone can see uh, what's possible. So really because enjoy This is awesome that. because the, the first image really did have a lot going on because yes. of all of the different colours, the green, the red, the black, the background, the building, mm. the, the trees and all of that. And even though it's the same shot, just your cropping and turning into black and white makes it so much more focused and striking. So the essential, you know, guts of the image that the core uh, part of the image is already there and Betty's yes. captured a, captured it beautifully, but just simple cropping can transform the, the viewer's experience of that image. I love it. All right. Exactly. So let's move on now to our topic of the week, which is four common photography mistakes made by newbies and pros and how to fix them. So where do we start with this one, Gina? What are, what's the first of our common mistakes? So what I thought we'd do is kick off the year with a little bit of a boot camp on uh, what what we want to f- um, what's important in in photography for the year. And it is it doesn't matter if you're a newbie starting out or you're out there working as a professional. The, the things that I've noticed of all the images that I've uh, looked at over you know over the years and and critiqued that there are common um, mistakes that newbies and pros make and. So, like, I want you to um, keep these in mind when you're taking a shot and they're really simple little fixes and it's just a matter of slowing down and being aware of them so that you're um, not having to uh, deal with that sort of stuff as you're shooting. So it's always in the back of your mind, okay, what's 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 wrong with my photo and, and how can I fix it? So the first one, one of the most common 
issues, photography mistakes is it has to do with focus, Val. And it's a it's a mm. problem. It starts with when you're a newbie. I know you, Val, have <laughs> struggled with focus over the years. Yes. How's that going <laughs> for you? <laughs> um it continues to be one of my weaknesses, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's tricky. The, the thing is, it's like when when you pick up a camera for the first time, it's all about like it's just so overwhelming and the camera by default is set so that the focus point is in dead centre of frame and uh, I think the greatest moment in a new photographer's life is when they realise that that focus point doesn't need to be in the centre. So a lot of people start off and all their images, they fo- photograph a person, they'll put the person in the middle of the frame because they want that to be the centre, you know, that part to be in focus. Uh, but when you discover that you can actually move that focus point, oh, my God, it's just like the best day mm. of your life, mm. you know. And then it, it opens up this whole new world of photography because you can then uh, really think about what part of the frame you want to be in focus. So I think the first thing for a newbie to uh, work on is learn how to move your focus points around. And then the other thing is um, you can get so overwhelmed with the whole, you know, taking the photo and worrying about, you know, if the exposure's right and if you've got someone in front of you that you're directing, that that, that can be all overwhelming and people often forget to check focus. And I know mm. I've done this in the past. It's like I've done an entire shoot thinking, oh, this is the best thing I've ever done. You know, when I was starting out, I'd come back with the swag. There's always a swagger, Val, after <sighs> I did a shoot. It was always like a little bit of swagger. It was like, God, I'm good. That was so good. And then you look at the shots and you go, they're out of focus. <laughs> and the thing is that a lot of photographers think that it's unprofessional or it makes them look like an, a newbie if they check focus while they're doing the shoot, but it's not. It's a lot. No. It's far more embarrassing to have to tell your friends or whoever you're photographing that that are waiting eagerly for the shots that like, yeah. uh, no, I don't, uh, they're out of focus or trying yes. to pass them off as in focus. So I think yes. th- there's a screen on the back of the camera. When you've set up your shot and you've got it right, do a test shot and then you can zoom right in, right into the eyes and make sure that if you're photographing a person, the eyes are in focus. Or if you're photographing mm. something, that the thing that you want to be in focus is in focus. So so check, double check, and, and make sure that that's the case. Learn how to use the focus points. For pros, focus is also an issue. It that doesn't sort of, you know, just happen when you're a newbie. It can be when you're a pro. So you're getting sort of uh, carried away with a lot of other things or you start to uh, work with a a better quality of lens, so a faster lens where the aperture opens a lot wider and where a lot of um, more advanced photographers get caught out uh, is Mm. that when shooting wide open, that doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily the optimum uh, 
aperture of a lens. So lenses have what's called a sweet spot. So mm. if you've got a lens, say you've got yourself the latest uh, 85 millimeter 1.2 lens, which is like beautiful, like wide open. If you, the first thing most people do when they get that lens is, oh my God, I'm going to shoot at f1.2, which is wide, wide open, right? Mm. And that means you've got that beautiful shallow depth of field and they'll go to do a, say a headshot of someone and then they'll look at the image and they'll go, the eyes are soft. The Mm. thing is when you're shooting that wide open, the difference between uh, the actual eye being sharp and the eye being out of focus is a bee's pippy valve, the technical (laughs) term, a bee's pippy, which is like – What's a bee's pippy, Gina? A bee's pippy is like the thing (laughs) that a bee uses to – uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I kind of get it. I'm sure our listeners it's a tiny, do too. Tiny, tiny, tiny mm. amount. So, like, I've been caught out with the uh, 85 1.2, and when I first got it, it's like, oh my god, I'm going to do those beautiful uh, portrait shots where it's going to be sharp on the eyes, and then it's just going mm. to go out of focus from then. The problem is mm. that with the with that sort of shallow depth of field, you need to focus on the eyeball, not on yes. anywhere else. So um, the mistake that a lot of photographers make is uh, they'll try and they'll they'll think they've got the focus on the eye, but they've actually got the focus on the just on the edge of the eye, right, the corner mm. of the eye, and that means the eyeball will be out of focus. That's you the mean, you, you mean the iris, not the eyeball. Sorry, the iris, and then you're the, mm. but you focused on the uh, the corner of the eye. You know where the mm-hmm. eyelashes meet, the top eyelash meets the bottom eyelash. Is there a technical term for the corner of the eye? It would be the corner of the eye. That's the technical term. Yes. That's what I thought when I went to medical school, Val. <laughs> Apparently you're going to yes. be a brain surgeon this year. Is that right? <laughs> no, I'm not. You're not going to be studying that this year as well as, you know, just because you've got nothing to do. And I doubt it. No? Um, I doubt so it. The, the trick is that what you can do um, if you're going to be working with those sorts of uh, very shallow depth of field is there is another adjustment within the camera that you can fine tune the focus. So where you've got the focus square that can be moved around, there'll be a a larger size for the square, but there is also a setting that you can fine tune that and make it smaller so that it'll focus on an even smaller spot. So that's going to help with getting the focus on the eye. The other thing I recommend is when you're shooting at that sort of shallow depth of field is to pick your moments for doing that. So if you've got a, 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 a portrait where they've given you, and this is often the case as for professional photographers, you've got three minutes to get this shot. It's going to be the cover. We're holding it up. We're waiting for you. Go. This is right. not the time to be shooting at F1.2 no. because the, the the thing with those very far – those um, – lenses that are fast is Mm. by means of fast you've got like great glass you can open up very wide Mm. is the problem is they're they're very slow to focus and that's what's frustrating Mm. they're beautiful um but they're hard to uh, get the focus very sharp so you want to be working with that sort of when you're working wide open like that 
take your time. And that's where you want to be checking focus and micro adjusting. What I suggest when you're working with a lens like that is to stop down two stops. So instead of shooting at uh, like f1.2, you might go to f1.6 or 1.8. Still going to give you that sexy, blurry background, but it just means that you've got a little bit more space to get the shot sharp. And same if you're working with the – um, 70 to 200 f 2.8 again i would like the sweet spot for that would be f 5.6 especially if mm. you, you're shooting all the way at 200 millimeters it's about safety so you pick your moments if you want to shoot wide open make sure you've got time to be checking and double checking focus and it's also it sounds a bit woo woo val but like mm-hmm. i think after you work with a lens a lot, it becomes it almost becomes an extension of your body, and, mm. and this is how I feel with my seventy to two hundred because it's like I use it eighty percent of the time. I kind of know when the shot's in focus. I feel it. Yes, that sounds yes. weird. It would be it? in no. It's your in your muscle memory. Yeah, I, 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 so. I totally get it. Mm. I feel like I know I'm locked on and I can I can almost mm. go, I didn't get the – I missed the focus there. I kind of know it. So it's the kind of thing that like if, if you're going to be um, working at those dangerous apertures, I, they are dangerous when someone is relying on that shot. So you mm. either cover yourself and stop down a little bit or uh, use the lens so much that you just know that you've you've got the shot. The other thing that – can be an issue with focus is if you've got something that is very low contrast or um, very heavily backlit. The camera focuses based on contrast. So if you've got an image and you're shooting against uh, like it's very flat light, it's very low light, it might be dusk and there's not enough contrast, the camera's going to have a lot of problems locking on. So use mm. the techniques that, to help you focus because there's nothing more frustrating than being on set, working or you know, even as a newbie and then you can't, the camera just searches constantly for the focus. Little hacks like using your smartphone, getting the model to hold that in front of them mm. and using that as a focus point. And there's okay, a so what Gina means by that is is that uh, particularly in a situation where it might be dark or, or, or where for some reason it is hard to focus on a particular area. In fact, just yesterday or was it a couple of days ago, I was um, photographing my artwork in its final resting place and yeah. because it's flat, it, I was having troubles uh, getting the right focus on certain areas. So what Gina means by using your smartphone phone is actually getting somebody to hold the smartphone in front of the artwork or in front of wherever it is that you're trying to focus so that the camera focuses on the uh, the, the the blank screen or white screen of the of the smartphone yeah and then you've got mm-hmm. you've got your focus and then you then you take the autofocus off once you've locked on and yeah. and shoot the image as long as it's not moving forward or back. So perfect for your um, particular artwork, Val. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to say for somebody who, you know, irrespective of the artwork thing, which is a specific situation, for somebody like me who is not great at focus, um, there is no shame with autofocus. <laughs> no, Val, I shoot autofocus. Do you yes. know most photographers shoot autofocus? 
So mm. there's no shame at all. We all do it because the there was a shame. There was it was embarrassed. You, you should be embarrassed if you were shooting autofocus 15 years ago, 10 years ago, right? Right. But today the autofocus on a camera is better than if you've got 20/20 vision. Right, yeah. so it's actually um, I, I I I use it exclusively. I don't use manual focus anymore because I nothing would be in focus. Yes, got yes. Someone tiny off a hundred meters in the distance. Are you going to be mm. able to see that? I can barely see out the door. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great, fantastic, <laughs> cool. So, have we covered focus? Are there more yes. aspects to yes. focus? All right. So, if that's the first common mistake uh, made by newbies and pros in photography, what would be the second? Can I try and guess? Yeah. Would it be something to do with what we spoke about um, in the, in, at, at the top of the show where we have, where the, we're not sure what we're looking at. Yes, uh, composition valve is the next okay, one. Okay, so, there you yeah. go. So it's, yes, it's, it was. It, so there you go. It, no, you know that, that that's good. So it it it's um, sloppy composition is something that I see a lot, and we're all mm. guilty of that. So it's, because people all everyone thinks that they can just crop it later. Yeah, and that I think is is a sloppy thing to do, and it's also mm. um, it, you're wasting pixels on your frame. Mm. So you've got so much resolution on your image and say you've got an image um, and uh, you, you, you end up cropping into uh, 30% of the file. You've then taken mm. something that say was uh, a, a 60 meg file and you're only using 30%. So that, mm. that essentially is like what it's a third. So <laughs> carry the one. <laughs> Divide by two. What is it? 20, 20 meg or something like that? Hang on. So 10, 6, 18 meg. I don't know, Gina. It is. What? Did I get that wrong? I didn't so calculate. 30% of 60 is 18. Okay. Was that sure. right? Uh, yeah, why not? Ten percent is six times three. We don't is need 18. to actually calculate. Spend precious minutes calculating. <laughs> I'll go. Um, I'll use the calculator. There you go. Eighteen. Well done. I was right. Yeah. Call me Rain Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's really Rain Man. Yes. <laughs> so um, you're wasting resolution of the image. One. Two. The the lens is going to work look a lot different if it, the, the image itself is going to look completely different if you're um, filling the frame as opposed to um, shooting loose and then cropping in. It'll have a completely different look. The other thing is I think um, – the sloppy composition means that you haven't really thought about the image in advance. And if you 
pre-visualize the shot, that's when the gold happens. So you're going to know exactly where to place your images and you get beautiful composition. And we talked about this at the top of the show with Betty's image about wanting to have flow in the image. And the idea is a great image means that when someone looks at it, their eyes are going to stay on that image. And it's not just about having, you know, perfectly exposed, a perfectly exposed file and something lovely to look at. You want the eyes to be able to move through the image so that the image needs to have flow. And the way to do that is with composition. So it's not enough to just go, this is great, stand at your full height and take the shot. That's kind of a lazy way to do it. The harder way is to think about what angle you want to shoot at. Do you want to, like, it's not fun shooting um, from a kneeling perspective or a crouching perspective. It's uncomfortable, but that's where you're going to get the good shots. You know, that's Mm -hmm. why you invest in the knee pads or gardening pads to get the shot. So think about the camera angle because that can change everything. And you want it when you're shooting portraits. And I also shared an image in the show notes, Val. A a portrait is going to look far more flattering if you have the eyes of your subject somewhere in the top third of the frame. And like the majority of images that I see is not the case. The eyes are sitting somewhere in the middle of the frame and that comes back to our focus where the focus point is in the middle. So the, you know, the photographer will naturally position their model in the middle of the frame, eyes are in the middle of the frame, and that's the focus. But that's going to be balanced and you lose that uh, movement and the frame doesn't look as dynamic. So mm. what you want to be doing is learning to move your focus points and then using your camera to frame the image and and try and compose the image the way you want the final shot to look so you're not cropping it's that's the shot and you might do a little bit of tweaking in post but you want to use sort of all your pixels when you you're doing that shot yeah great okay cool lots of fantastic tips with that what else do we need to know about composition all right, so the other thing is like working with the frame to uh, force your viewer to look around the image. So you want to give – I'm so – I'm really uh, anti-vertical frames at the moment. I've just completely okay. gone off them. I just <laughs> – and, and, and it's like often um, – the other thing that I that I'm constantly talking about uh, when I'm critiquing images is mm. how the image feels. And often, if something is very tightly cropped, I feel like my subject that that, that I'm looking at is is um, sort of trapped in that space. And yes. uh, you know, the language I constantly use is I, I, I want my model to have space to breathe. I need the image yes. to have space to move. And so Mm -hmm. one really good trick, and uh, it's something that, uh, that uh, in, in Betty's shot that we talked about earlier, that once it was uh, cropped as a horizontal, we gave her that space uh, to move and we used Mm. the eye line of the model as a way to force the viewer to look around the shot. So I've uh, put an example in the show notes of a uh, a little girl looking, uh, sitting on some steps. It's uh, framed as a horizontal image and the girl is looking from uh, right into the left of the frame 
frame and the left of the frame is empty. And so now you Mm -hmm. look at the little girl, look at her face, and then naturally look over to the empty space next to her. And I've used the rule of thirds to compose this image. And so I've lined up my model a third of the way into the frame. She's not dead centre of the frame. And then I've got a third from the right. The a third mm-hmm. from the right. And um, and then the other two thirds of the frame are empty and her face is looking into the empty part of the frame. Yep. So there's that movement going in. So thinking about how to compose the image is really important. So pre-visualizing and that goes for, you know, newbies and pros alike. It's like very easy just to get a bit sloppy or a bit lazy and just go, I can't be bothered going at a lower angle um, or, or changing my field of view or compose. I'll just do it in post. But I think yes. you're going to get a much better shot if you uh, compose it in camera and really think about your uh, composition, Val. So that's that, that comes and, with composition. And I think that one of the things that is really useful, that I believe is very useful, is looking at quality magazines. So don't look at, you know, the really the, the magazines that aren't the glossy magazines. Look at the – I mean, some of them do great stuff too, but you're more guaranteed if you've got the glossy magazines, you know, your Vanity Fair, your vogues, that sort of thing. Look at the composition in that, not only of the shots with the models, but also the other shots that they just have in their general um, lifestyle type images and just in their layouts. Because I think one of the things that even though I have a weakness in terms of focus, being a a former picture editor on, on glossy magazines and also working so much in magazines, I look at pictures very much in how would this look in a magazine layout and therefore I one of my strengths is is composition and I really think that if you study images in magazines, um, that can really help you because you'll see what they, and if you analyze them, you'll see what they're trying to achieve. You'll see what they're trying to get the reader or viewer or whatever, the person looking at the image to do because each picture serves a function and is composed in a certain way in order to achieve a particular goal. So um, I highly, highly recommend that you also study and analyze the pictures in magazines. Yep, totally agree. So Gina, what's our next common photography mistake? All right, I'm, so I'm then- not sure if I can guess. Like, if I had to guess, I'd say lighting. Is that next or... Is that on the list? Uh, it's one of them, but it's not, not <laughs> okay. next. So the All next right, one that on. I, I want to talk about is white balance. So oh, okay. White balance or colour balance is like the colour cast that you see mm. on an image. So... Um, an image with the correct color balance, it looks neutral. So what happens is uh, when you're a newbie photographer, the color tones, you, you, you're not even seeing them. So like often you'll have a newbie photographer will take a shot and go, it's sharp. I've got my composition <laughs> right. It's great. And yes. going, yeah, but it's green. And you yeah. can't even see that. So this is something that is mm. – um, 
it, it's something that you have to train your eye to be looking for. So like I can remember the early days of digital, digital my images were really red. Skin tones were very fluoro, yeah. orangey red, but you couldn't yeah. see it. Um, and, and it's another thing is also your eyes um, acclimate to, to that sort of light. So you think about if you're uh, sitting inside and you've got those um, – the old school tungsten lighting, you know, the warm lights that you see, mm. right? And mm-hmm. if you're in a yep. room that's lit by that, you're mm. not looking around the room and going, wow, it's really yellow in here. No. You're not even seeing it. You'll you'll look at a piece of paper and it'll go, oh, that'll look white. That looks white to me. But then you might yeah. take a shot of that image and when you get the image back, it looks very yellow because the camera has picked up that colour cast. And yeah. just like when you go into a, say, a warehouse that's got fluoro lighting or, you know, um, anywhere or, or in a uh, where they sell meat, they have those fluoro lights, but they're they're kind of a red color. And you take a photo there, and it's like everything will look really red. The old-fashioned fluoro lights are very green, but to the naked eye, you don't see it. But the camera picks up the color cast. So mm-hmm. this is something that you want to be thinking about because it can um, radically change the way a shot looks. Now, if you're shooting in RAW, it's something that's easily uh, fixed in post-production. If you're shooting in JPEG, it can be fixed, but often some of the colour casts not as well. So I do recommend you mm. shoot RAW. As as um, something that you can do at, like I always shoot raw, but have a look at your camera settings and you can change the white balance of your camera depending on the scene that you're photographing. So if you're outside shooting in daylight, then set your camera's white balance to daylight. Very basic. If you're inside and you're shooting under tungsten conditions, then change the camera's setting to tungsten. So they're Mm -hmm. they're really simple things that you can do and shoot in RAW. As a a more advanced thing, when you're um, doing your post-production, the first thing you want to be correcting in the shot before you do anything is making sure that your white balance is correct. And so the way I do this is I will get an image and mm-hmm. um, if I've, uh, I will find a neutral tone in the image, so like a white or a mid-gray, and you just in Lightroom, you use your white balance tool and uh, select a, a, an area and it'll the Lightroom will do a white balance click. Now, there is an entire episode where we go into this in great detail, but, and it's worth um, revisiting and uh, checking that out because I think that it, it changes everything. And if the white balance is correct, then you can work on your image and put your own sort of creative slant on it. But you want to be starting from a clean slate. It's like if you were uh, painting an image, Val, on a canvas mm. – Imagine if you, um, instead of uh, going to the canvas shop and getting something that's uh, like bright white, which is what you start with as a canvas, imagine if your canvas to start with was kind of um, uh, light green 
or very okay. yellow. <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. your base to start with. It, it that's not right. Okay, mm. so you you, you want to start with a, a pure white or it's something neutral to start with, and then you um and then you tweak from there. So I think the white balance is is very important. That the next level up uh, for a professional and to save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of work in post production is to when wherever you're working use a grey card so if you're doing a portrait mm. uh, and I'll put some links uh, in the show notes of some grey cards that you can buy so it's uh, just a basically a piece of grey card that you uh, ask your model to hold in front of yep. their face and you take a photo of the model with the grey card in front of their face and then you bring and then you do your shoot, right? So you take the photo in the lighting situation that you're going to be shooting in and then you use that first frame with the model holding the grey card. Uh, you bring that into Lightroom and you'll do a click balance off that grey card. That's your neutral point and Lightroom will reset all your uh, white balance back to neutral and you've got a, an image that's correctly white balanced. Yeah, great. And you can get digital grey cards, can't you, as well? Do you, you find can them get digital grey cards, yeah, not, not, not as good. I think the, um, the card ones or the little pop-up ones that you can get are, are a bit better because with the digital grey card you're also contending with the, uh, the a backlit screen and reflections yeah. of that. Um, not – not horrible, but you know. And the other thing you can do is, um, you know, hope that your model wears something like a grey t-shirt or so. I, and, and at the very least, if I can't find a neutral tone anywhere in the mm. image, and I forgot to grey card, I will zoom right into the whites of the eyes and do a click balance on that. Right, <laughs> that works wow. as well. So you're just looking for something neutral. Okay, great. And um, so that, yeah, that's a great tip. So white balance. All right. Does that mean lighting is next? <laughs> yes, Val, lighting. So, um, mm. and, and, and again, it's like there are stages. So you start and you start to see light. And I think the first thing as a newbie is learning to differentiate between good light and kaka light. So kaka like bees pippi is another technical term <laughs> that I like to use. Kaka meaning it's shite. It's uh, not optimal yes. for lighting. So understanding the difference between um, good portrait lighting or good mm. landscape lighting as opposed to not so good um, is a big step. So, so I think at- that's a really good point because it's not – lighting isn't necessarily meaning uh, that you have speed lights or that you no. have any kind of artificial lights. Lighting is just lighting. It could be daylight. So people, yeah, even at that level often make – have common mistakes when just shooting with only day, day light, the daylight and not one, uh, you know, electronic light in sight. Exactly. So the, the, the mm. first step, and I think at, at, at all levels um, of photography, is if you can master daylight, everything else is really easy. If you can understand the difference between soft light and hard light, uh, and you can really work with daylight, then you can shoot anywhere because if you've got 
a situation where you've got you're able to work with whatever is in front of you then you can bring in lights and uh just yeah. add the little bit of light that you need which is the way I like to work I, I don't like to light an entire scene I use what's mm. there and then I'll just add little pops of light as uh accents unless I'm shooting in the studio and then you create from scratch but I'm talking more about sort of location stuff so um even just spending uh you know a little bit of time each day looking around, well, what's this light? Is this hard light or is it soft light? Is this good portrait mm. light? And just recognising that, okay, so there are times in the middle of the day where if I try and photograph my model, it's not going to be optimum because I've got like harsh shadows on the face. But what can I do to improve that? And even trying to do – even doing a drill as a newbie of taking a model out – in the middle of the day, the worst part of the day and trying to create a good shot in hard lighting is a great exercise because then you've mastered that shooting in flat light is going to be easy. And there is a lot of photographers Mm. that actually love that look of hard light, like Herb Ritz was one of them and uh, he he did it very well. So it could even become your signature look. And you see a lot of high fashion um, shots as well where they use this particular hard light where the eyes practically go, they do go to like raccoon eyes. You can't see anything in the socket, but it it works Mm. very well. It's like high contrast um, and can make a sexy image. So work out how and understand uh, how to work with daylight. And then I've got this uh, theory, Val, that applies to understanding light. And I have talked about Mm -hmm. this before, but it's been a while, so I thought I'd uh, bring it out again. So it's about your theory again. Okay. So Mm -hmm. it's about trying to cook a filet mignon when you haven't finished peeling the potatoes yet. So this is based on Right. When I was uh, training to be a cook in a restaurant, the thing that they got us to do is the first thing we had to do was learn how to peel potatoes. And you might have to peel potatoes for three months until you nailed it. And when you learnt to peel potatoes, which is the most basic, then you moved on to uh, chopping carrots. And then you might learn to do salads and then you're doing entrees. And then the last thing you learned to do was how to cook a, a steak properly, which is pro- probably one of the, the hardest things to do as a chef. That was the yes. last thing. So, And, and I you, have to and, say that it must have worked on you because you're a fantastic cook. <laughs> Thank you, Val. So, but but it, I think this this approach to learning is uh, can can be also applied to photography. What a lot of the, the problem with all this information that's out there today. There's so much great um, information accessible by all photographers. You can just jump on YouTube and go. Yeah. All right, how do I do a six light portrait? That if you haven't mastered daylight and you go, well, that's easy. That's for newbies. I want to do something more advanced. And you go straight to lighting with six lights. The Mm. problem is it's like you can cook the filet mignon, you can get it right, but you kind of don't really get a feel for why you're doing it or, or how 
what's working about what you're doing. So was it the 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 temperature that that got it to to the outside of the steak to look good, and then the center to be like you know it, what are the different steaks? There's blue, there's rare, there's medium rare, there's you know mm. um, well done, right? So yeah, the same with lighting. So you you can you can do a headshot of someone with four lights, but you're not going to know which light is doing what. So I think it, the best way is to um, take a stepped approach to lighting, and in the long run, you're going to it's going to be much easier because you understand how fill light works, what each light works, how different modifiers work. So the the steps that I recommend uh, for lighting is to start with daylight, master that. Then, if you want to introduce fill light. Do so and start with a simple modifier like an umbrella, which is a nice soft light, easy to use. Then move on to something like a soft box or an umbrella box or an octa box. Then move on to harder light sources like grids and then try a beauty dish and then try mixing your lighting styles. So people who maybe jump straight to that beauty dish where they haven't sort of got their heads around how daylight works are just um, complicating everything and um, it's actually going to take you longer to uh, work out how what what is everything doing because it takes a while to even see the subtle differences in light. So I think it's uh, a good a good step to the learn to peel the potatoes first. Yeah, absolutely. Peel the potatoes first. <laughs> I think that's so true because you do see. I, I've experienced um, been in situations where people have done the whole setup, and I'm looking at the scene thinking, "We really don't need all of that at all. Yeah, it's just not necessary. It's just overcomplicating, and it doesn't actually look better because there's some fantastic natural light with, you know, maybe just a dook is needed. So, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think that if you are a newbie as opposed to a pro, make sure you check out the episode that we did on garage lighting because that is such an awesome place to um, – to uh, awesome thing to understand if you don't already understand garage lighting because I think that that's such a go-to uh, source of – of lighting when you're still at the peeling potato well at any stage but certainly at the potato peeling stage <laughs> yes exactly mm. <laughs> wonderful okay so that's uh, are they that that's it the four common mistakes that's it Val. yeah i think we covered brilliant it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Great start to the year. And um, I'm sure we're going to bring out a lot of fantastic, a lot of other fantastic content in the coming weeks as well. I look forward to, um, I know that we've got on the agenda some interviews with some cool people mm. um, and a lot of fantastic um, topics uh, based on uh, based on requests from listeners. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the listeners are in our Facebook listener group, which it's free to join so make sure you do check it out just search for so you want to be a photographer podcast community on facebook and we'd love to see you in there in the meantime we've reached the end of this week's episode what are you doing in the coming week gina Oh, so getting back into it now, Val, so getting into the swing of things. And so I'll yes. be out there shooting and uh, 
easing in, I think. So um, I've got Brilliant. some tutorials to do to work on for the gold and, uh, yeah, I'll get out and hopefully get down to the beach as well if I can. Yes. Nice. Nice. Mm. What about you? Well, uh, um, well, you last time we spoke, we spoke about the fact that I got my boat license yeah. but have not yet been on a boat. Well, I've hired a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I've, right. I've, I've finally taken the plunge, hired a boat, and so I shall report back on my <laughs> on my adventures. I can't wait. Be careful out there, okay? <laughs> You're not going to go out into the big bit, into the, the top. You're just going to go around the bay there, aren't you? No, I will not be going out into the Pacific Ocean. No, I okay, won't be good. sailing to New Zealand or Hawaii. Right. Don't forget anyway. sunscreen and, uh, you know, life rafts and all of that. Yes, of course. Anyway, where do we find you online, Gina? So you can find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And you can connect with me on all social media through through the website. It's all there. And I'm also in the podcast listener group and in the gold community, Val. Fantastic. You can find me in the podcast listener group and the gold community as well and online at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Instagram and Twitter. And feel free to connect with me on Facebook. You'll find the show notes here at ginamilitia.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.